Kitchen, I'm Anthony Salome. Blog Talk Radio. Long time no talk, bro. Oh, look at that. We're a little early, man. I think we missed the Blog Talk Radio piece. We did. Well, we're over here. We've got two baseball games <laughs> on. we got phone apps oh, going off on man. baseball. But we're talking UCF sports today. Yeah, it's a long offseason, man. Um, basketball season's done. That one came up a little short for, I don't want to say my Cavs, but I'm definitely definitely a LeBron fan for all you haters out there. You can, you can hit me up wherever you want. <laughs> I'm going to hit you up right now. <laughs> <laughs> but got a lot to talk about, man. Um, even though it's been it's been kind of a quiet offseason, there's definitely some, some going on, especially right now. One of the biggest things that, that hit recently was the uh, NBA draft. A couple of our minors didn't get selected. I don't think anybody really thought Julian was, but, you know, Vince had, had a, we thought had a decent chance to get selected, but that ended up happening. But we'll talk about that. We'll talk about some other uh, notes around UTEP football, a little bit of recruiting and some other stuff, man. So what's up, man? How's your summer been? It's been good, man. A lot of baseball, a lot of Chihuahuas games. Uh, took a little vacay out to the fam. What up, Austin? What up, Houston? Here we go again. You know what I'm saying? But, uh, oh, man, it's been great. Uh, you know, but every time I think when the calendar turns from June to July, I think any college sports fan knows it's the closest that we've been to getting back on the grind, uh, getting back on, following our teams. And, and that's, I mean, camp's coming up August 5th, August 6th, right around the corner. The team leaves for the 5th. They start on the 6th. That's why we're bringing you this uh, podcast is we got a lot to talk about. There's going to, you know, like you said, it's been a quiet off season, which I think is, is for the couple of past couple of off seasons, even though I haven't been with the rush fully in the off season, it's been kind of a good thing, right? That's been kind of quiet and nothing too too crazy out of the ordinary. But let's just jump right into it. UTEP football um, today found out uh, doing a little my, my daily uh, dissection, if you want to call it, of the UTEP athletics website. I like to look at that, see if there's any movement with the roster. Well, anyways, how I came across was sometimes we're released today uh, for the upcoming football schedule. Um, Kind of about time, been kind of waiting, trying to plan some things out. And we already knew uh, first game of the year, the most important game of the year, obviously, Arkansas, 1.30 p.m. on September 5th. That's going to be on ESPNU. Uh, going to get into that game, uh, obviously, more as, as the time comes on. But, I mean, uh, you know, the, the big thing somebody kind of threw out there, and I think it was El Javi. What's up? Shout out to Javi out there, one of our contributors and writers, is there's no more, this is like there's no, the days of 7 o'clock kickoffs are over with, man. It's, we got a bunch of 6 o'clock, a bunch of 5 o'clock kickoffs. Is that, is that a good thing? Is What do you think that is? Is that like a ploy to maybe get more families to come out because it's not too late, you don't get out of the game too late? Is, is that that's maybe probably, where they're going? That's probably where it stems from. You know, a lot of people talk. But you know what, man? You know, fans that aren't going to show up aren't going to show up. They're exactly, going to make excuses exactly. about uh, ticket prices, about parking, about whatever they can possibly make the excuses about. Um, but if they're not going to go, they're not going to go. Basically, if you want to go, then you're going to go. And so I think that's probably where the kickoff time stems from. Um, but I'm not sure that uh, – that it's going to make really that much of a difference. Yeah, and I'm still waiting for that. That Texas Tech game is the next game I'm waiting for the time because that's a trip we're going to make. Then you got basically the next three games, which will be at New Mexico State to 6 o'clock start. And then incarnate word, uh, still trying to find some bloggers or somebody that has anything, any information <laughs> hey, on, on Antonio, the Cardinals. Man. What's up? That's your, that's, that's, your, that's your area right there, San Antonio. Nah, I, that's your, that's nah I stay out of San Antonio. Oh, come on now. And then, uh, then after that, you got UTSA, Conference USA opener coming in at 6 o'clock p.m. in the Sun Bowl. That'll be an interesting game. Uh, another game that was announced the following week at Florida International, 10 a.m. Mountain Time. That's 12 o'clock yeah, that in Miami. That's a tough hey, you one. You know, that's something that I don't get. Because I know that, you know, in big-time football country, 
it's very, very common that you find kickoffs early in the morning, SEC football, mm-hmm. Big 12 football, you know, between that 11 a.m. kickoff, to that 10, 11 to 2 o'clock, yeah. 1.30, you know. So, um, I mean, you see that a lot, but I, I don't like it in Conference USA, man, especially yeah. at Florida International. I mean, are they going to draw a big crowd at noon? Or maybe that's yeah. a good time for them. I don't really Possibly. know. But but I, I don't see that being a big time for them. I know that a lot I of think people that, – that's, I think that's an American Sports Network game. I, I would think that that could have something to do with it, but, but I mean, what games could American sports possibly have that, that would be at night, let's say, to move it to be a morning game, you know? It could be other. I mean, you think about it, it's a 10 o'clock start, so you probably, you, that may be part of a triple head or whatever. I know yeah, a couple last year they had a couple of double headers, so a little early on that one. And then, the, well, so far, the earliest time at home uh, for the Atlantic at 5 o'clock, October 24th, trying to think of something in that date, why they would push it to 5 o'clock. But Is that going to be the homecoming game? That I would think that would be That's the probably homecoming the homecoming game, game. and that could be, you know, your festivities that you have to get longer halftime and whatnot. So that's possible there. Um, you know, overall, I, I know we've touched on this back in, in season and whatnot, but it, it's just, it's kind of, it's kind of, getting at me man we're we're getting closer and closer and closer and every time i look at this schedule and i see how tough this is going to be to start the season you know the, the only the five home games and you start with three on the road even though they want to say oh new mexico state's a home game it's it not. Take us down and yeah and... it's not it's not a home game period now I'm, I'm glad it's new mexico state because they've been down and yeah. i don't want to say that that's an automatic win but we've got a good shot to get a win there yep. so i'm glad about that but man you got to start at arkansas and fayetteville at texas tech um in lubbock that that's just a brutal start and I guess it's, it's you know, we see it in basketball a lot, how Coach Floyd has started to schedule really tough. Um, and that's something that we saw with, with uh, Coach Price's teams, too. But I think Coach Price's teams was just more of like, let's get these big names on the schedule to get to make money. Mm-hmm. And, and I think Coach Cooler is actually scheduling these guys because he, he wants, wants to win, yeah. win those games. And he wants to get money, obviously. And he wants, yeah, but... of course. But, you know, so I think, I, I, I mean, there's pros and cons to this. But every time I look at this schedule, man, I'm just like, damn, like five home games. You know, you don't play at home until until September 26th, and it's Incarnate Word. So it, I don't I don't really know what to say about the schedule other than that it's going to be tough to start, and the five home games is never going to be a, a good thing for you. And another thing is we'll find out real quick of, of uh, how I guess how deep in deep shit we are, or how much we underestimated whoever's going to start at quarterback because it seems like right now. We don't know who it's going to be. We yeah. have we have some things which we're going to touch on, but that's really going to test that yeah. quarterback, whoever it is, to lead this team through that tough part of the schedule. Because really, it, it definitely evens out towards the end of this through the end of the schedule. You know, in terms of travel, opponents, strength of schedule, it's really going to even out after that UTSA game. But that could be a turning point. We talked about turning points all last year of. You know, certain games that swayed one way, the La Tech game could have swayed this team to go 2-10 and 10 again, and then all of a sudden you have next week the Old Dominion game and the UTSA game. There's certain turning points. I think early on in the year you're going to see those Arkansas-Texas Tech games as turning points, even though, you know, that may be crazy because it's not a conference game because it is the first couple of games of the season. But I think that those two games are important to just compete and to not fall apart even though it is tough. Let's not throw any pick six. Let, let's take care of that football. Let's move that ball. Obviously, we're going to get into more detail as the season comes. as We know who's going to be that person yeah. doing that, but that's going to be a big test for whoever's going to lead this quarterback into the season because after that, it's a very manageable schedule, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it, you look at, at what you get after uh, to the, those first two games, and it is New Mexico State incarnate word. So, 
you know, you'd hope that at worst going into conference play, you're two and two. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think there's any reason that you should lose one of those games. So that is that is one thing to look at. Uh, and then you get UTSA at home and Florida Atlantic and international. So those are, you know, you could potentially get off to a, to a three and two, four and one start. I mean, that's not out of the, out of the question. And I wouldn't, I mean, Texas tech, the way that Utah played them last year. Yeah. And I mean, without a passing game at all, because you can go look back at the stats. I believe me may have been under 150 yards passing yeah, just I off just, the top of my head. That physical style with the way that Texas tech has lost some on their defensive side, or kind of been paying attention a little bit to see yeah. who they have. That could be a really big game for the Sean Kugler era because if you win that game, then we're talking about possibly three and one hitting the cop. And I don't think that's far fetched. I mean, we 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 know UTEP football what it's been. Yeah. But I'm a big believer that this thing is turning around to where this type of game yeah. on the road isn't far fetched no more. Where, yeah. where Texas you can, Tech isn't. I'm not ready to even consider us as as having an opportunity to beat a team like Arkansas. No way. No way. No. But but Texas Tech isn't. And that's because of the style that Texas Tech likes to play. And you can go in there, and if you're able to impose your will in the trenches, control the clock, control the tempo, and not let them get out and just run away from you, you can play them. Exactly. You can keep it down, play them tight, and have a chance to win at the end. So I definitely agree with you. And again, like you just said a second ago, a lot of it's going to have to do with the quarterback situation because that is a complete unknown right now. And we'll get you know what? Let's just jump right into it right now. I know we got it a little later down the list, but while we're while we're on it, you know, this is something that that a, a few months ago it was kind of uh, uh, Kavika Johnson was the guy that we really felt like he's gonna be the starter. It's his job to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have a lot of stuff that kind of transpired throughout spring. And from what I hear from sources that aren't even that that aren't even associated with the program, but that do have kind of an in is that right now it's it's Leftwich's job to lose, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting to me. I understand that, that Coach Kugler um, likes Leftwich and what he's done, and he knows that he's a proven winner, at least at, at other levels. You know, he knows that he's a smart kid that can run his system. But how do you see a guy like Leftwich going into SEC country and playing against an Arkansas on the road? You know, that I, I don't know if he's able to, to – even you know, keep us in the game out there. I, I haven't really seen him in game action as much you know since his freshman year, so I can't really say how much he's improved or what he looks like. But I, I just have a, a I'm skeptical about it. I'm skeptical about it, and and I don't know if if maybe Kavika's the best the best option or. I mean, let me tell you who I think is the best option from, and this may even put more skepticism on 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 your take on Leftwich. Because I was out there watching that spring practice, and, and Garrett Simpson, yeah, Garrett Simpson, big guy, big arm. If you're telling me, if you're putting a gun on my head and say, who's the best spring ball quarterback? I gotta go with Garrett Simpson. I mean, the but guy is—is is he the best Kugler quarterback? That's the question. You know, that's that, and that's that's the bigger question. And I think that he ran the stuff very, very well in the spring. I think that he's that was the big knock on him is that. You know, he didn't want to go through this progression, and, and he couldn't adjust to the pro style. But I saw a guy that was really, really adjusting to that pro style and using his athletic ability. I mean, he's not a six-seven tree. This guy can move. Yeah. This thing can kind of move in and out of the pocket. I'm not going to say that he's going to run that don't read and to, to the T, maybe not as much as left, which I saw him, but running that offense, moving the ball, command, uh, you know, maybe even going as far as commanding the huddle. I think you got to go with Simpson, and he has that experience, and not only that, but I think he's deserved it of sticking through this because yeah, he could have left. With, with, 
you know, I call it Chuck and Doug, but which Chuck and Doug team wouldn't want a six seven guy that could sling the ball around? So, oh, nice play by Mostakas. But, I mean, really, to me, he was the strongest guy because he ran the system, not because he's the tallest or he had, you know, he, he, he had a couple of long drives, some long throws that were pretty impressive in the spring ball that I watched. But more of he ran the offense. He didn't seem to get out of the offense. And I'm not saying that Leftwich did – that Leftwich was – was going out of the offense or trying to make plays happen that weren't there. He was also pretty solid, but I think in the end, as far as production and things that I touched on, as far as just presence and running the system and getting in and out, a little bit more no huddle, so you can't really say that every down. But I think you have to go with a guy like Garrett Simpson, who's a little bit more proven. He hasn't played as much, but he plays the part of the guy that you want in his offense. And I'm not saying Leftwich isn't can be that guy, but from what I saw in the spring, I mean, now, of course, he's still got a whole month to go before, you know, the actual season starts, so there's going to be some more competition. But coming out of the spring, Garrett Simpson was my pick with a close second, a very close second, Ryan Metz. I mean, yeah, I was Ryan, ask you about Metz, Ryan Metz. Ryan Metz was very – Ryan Metz was probably the most consistent quarterback as far as production from what I saw. And when I'm talking about production, I'm talking about moving the chains. I'm talking about touchdowns thrown. I'm talking about things that get Kugler fired up while I'm sitting there watching practice. Metz was that playmaker. Metz was the jaw dropper. Simpson was more of the guy that didn't make that many mistakes. That was very clean in his footwork, very clean in his decision-making. And, and Leftwich was the guy that was just kind of had the bo- best of both sides, but he didn't stand out like a Mets did. And, and to top it off with Mets, he had that 54-yard run in, in, uh, in, in the spring game. Now, albeit it was against some third, second stringers, and most of the time that I've seen him in practice was, was against third and second stringers. But, I mean, those two guys right there were the guys that really stood out and really gave – I feel will give UTEP a better chance, but we haven't seen a guy like Kavika Johnson that from film and watching him, we know his playmaking ability, and that's going to throw that big-time wrench in that quarterback competition come the fall, no doubt about it. I still think that Kavika's the best guy to run the system. I mean, he's going to be – If you run last he, year's he, system, he's gonna, yeah. he's gonna He's going to be a freshman that's going to make some mistakes early on. Um, he, you can't expect him to be just thrust in there and then just all of a sudden, you know, be a guy that, that – is going to throw for 300 yards or or pick up a huge win at Arkansas or anything like that. But I think he's going to be able to run. And I don't think the system, even though we kind of hope that things would change a little bit and there would be a bigger passing game, from what I'm hearing, I don't think that there is going to be much expansion on that no. offense. If anything, it might even be tapered down even more to the run game, which isn't going to sell you tickets, but it may win you some more ball games. I don't know. But but so if he's, if he's asked to come in and just take care of the ball – and, and, you know, not make mistakes, kind of like they did with Showers. You know, he just – Showers was never asked to do anything fancy. He was just come in, hand it off. Every now and then we're going we're gonna to have you a little dump off, a little pass to the tight end, throw a couple screens, whatever. Every now and then you throw a deep ball. I'll, but play, I'll play action. I'll play action. <laughs> but it's not going to be anything too – we're not going to ask too much of you. Just take care of the football. Don't make mistakes. That's all it is. And I think Kavika can do that. And not only that, he's more explosive with his feet than Showers was. Yeah. So he's a bigger threat to run the football out of the pocket than other guys – that we've seen in this system, you know, of a, a, a Leftwich, a Simpson. Even though you talk about Simpson being able to to move a little bit, he's mobile, but he's not an explosive no runner. You know, even Mets. You know, you Suitable. talk about Mets is able to move around and make some plays with his feet as well. But there's no question that Kavika Johnson is the best quarterback with his feet. I think that suits this system the best. Um, so I think for me, not that my opinion means anything, but I I still think for me he's the best going into the to fall. But and and I do think that eventually he's going to take over the starting job. I don't know if they're going to just 
because he's coming in so late, I don't know that they're just going to have him day one starter be out there at Arkansas. They might throw out Leftwich or, or Simpson. And I wouldn't be too sold the way that kind of Cougar runs things, not saying that I know exactly how Sean Cougar runs his program to the T, but this Arkansas game could be as a quote-unquote preseason game where yeah. we see all three, yeah, shit, all true. four guys. That's you know, it, it, it's it's really – I don't think that there's going to be a set quarterback until after that incarnate Ward game. I, I really think that we may see – I don't know if they, we're going to have a, a set – you know, everybody talks about a two-quarterback system, but there's going to – I think we won't have our guy, quote-unquote, until that point because it, there's so many questions about these guys. And, and, I, and I really feel – with a team like UTEP that has a chance to compete at the upper half of their division, I didn't say conference, not yet, upper half of their division, I think this team can get by those three games after the first two tough ones with, you know, suitable defense in a running game. And going back to what you're saying about the offense being tapered down, way down more from the past, it's sort of built that way where they can actually do it now because you have some horses in the backfield and you have – not only a starting five of offensive line that's very solid and has played together for the past couple of years, but there's depth behind them where they can, you know, not, not that they want to see that happen, but they can suffer an injury on the offensive line and plug somebody. And that's where Cougar wants to go. He basically, it seems like he wants to have 10 starting linemen, you know, on his depth chart, but obviously you can put, you can only put five, but I mean, that's, you know, it's not, we, we kind of say that's a bad thing now, but who knows if that works out and they've really improved that way. But we saw last year against certain teams where you got to throw that football. you got to be able to have something to stretch. And this gets to my next question to you about this whole team, not not specifically offense, not specifically defense. What's your biggest concern heading into camp outside of that quarterback position? Where do you see? The- I think you got to switch sides and go to the defense, and, and I think you got to go into the secondary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've had we've had some 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 – a lot of help brought in in the front seven, and, and we've got some. We got a lot of guys in the secondary that have been in this in this program for a while now, and some up and coming stars as well. But there's still been that issue of us just really having trouble guarding the deep ball and guarding uh, just covering one on one in general. And, and I think uh, you know playing the four two five, you you have more help than than a typical four three setup or or any others. But I still want to see how they are going to adjust losing a guy like, let's say, Adrian James and a couple other guys that were back to that were big-time playmakers. I mean, last year coming in, James was pretty much supposed to be our shutdown, our shutdown corner. And, and not to knock on him, but he got burned no more than no once. Football, you, you know, and, and so I want to see who's going to fill those spots and who's going to be able to shut down guys, especially in a conference like Conference USA. I know you got some some teams that like to run the ball, but there's plenty that like to air it out. Um, and, you know, we saw a game like like uh, Western Kentucky last year where we had that by the by, – uh, you know, we had a chokehold on that one, and they had a couple deep balls that, especially early on, I think they had one or two touchdowns early in the game that didn't seem at the time like they were that significant. You were like, yeah, whatever, we're still winning this game. But then you talk about when you start making some mistakes down the stretch and then you end up losing that game. Now you go back and you say, damn, if we could just cover this guy, we might not even have been in that situation. So I want to see our secondary, how they've improved and who's going to be able to, to cover one-on-one, be, be able to be shut down guys. And, and I think that's my biggest question. And then, I mean, they were talking to these guys in the spring. They run a lot of man. You know, UTEP is going to run a lot of man. And, and the, the demographic mix in this is going to be kind of, to, I think, from the outside and even sitting here with us, it, it's going to kind of look like a disaster. Not really disaster, but big cause concern because you have some veteran guys 
You know, you have you have guys like Nick Needham, or not, not he's not a veteran. You got you got your starters coming back in, in Devin Cockrell. You got Deshaun Smith coming back. Tron got a uh, got an the extra year at, at corner. But other than that, I mean, those are your core guys. The Carlos Renfro has played a lot over the past couple years. But outside of those four guys, you don't have much. And then you throw into that when we're talking about experience, a guy like L.A. Dow who was kind of like a hybrid special teams, maybe every once in a while go on safety. Those are your core guys. I mean, he started as a running back. Yeah, he was coming in. He was a a price guy uh, coming in. He was a running back. So, And then you throw in Trent Trammell to transfer. Those are your only experienced guys. There's going to be a lot of youth moving. You're talking about a lot of freshmen that are going to see some time. I mentioned Nick Needham, who had a great spring, had two interceptions, was very, very active. Um, you know, you're talking about a guy like Mookie Carlisle, who's, who's probably not going to play out on the corner, but he's going to be more of a safety. You know, our our guy, our favorite guy, Kaylon Beverly, who I really think is going to have to, yeah, you know, there, there's yeah. no if, answer, but I think this guy's going to have to contribute. So there's a weird mix of, of a lot of guys where we're not sure, okay, you look at a guy, just for example, a guy like Jarrell Brown, you know, Michael Lewis, Omar Lloyd, these freshmen, where you, most of the time you're thinking, well, they're going to get redshirted. But in this particular situation that we have with, with – not so much experience coming back, but solid experience. You need pieces on this. There's so much, so many packages, so many substitutions that UTEP uses in that secondary. We could see a couple of true freshmen out there. So that is definitely a really, really big cause concern, especially like you said in this conference. Now, thank God we don't got to play Western Kentucky again. Yeah. And you know that we, there's some teams in conference that we're playing that are a little bit more run heavy, but. I mean that is going to be huge early. That's not something. I mean, we're going to we're going to we're going to find out early on with Texas Tech. Oh yeah. So they, we know they love to air it out. So we're going to see how these pieces are going to fit together early on with Texas Tech on that schedule. Um, what other impact freshmen do you see coming in? We talked about Kalon Beverly, of course. We know Kavika Johnson, but who else do you see that can come in and make an immediate impact for this team? You know, it, outside of those two guys, it, it's really hard. To, I mean, UTEP is it, really. I, I think if you're going to we got to get away from the true freshmen and maybe even look at some of these redshirt freshmen that have been kind of sitting around, uh, you know, not really sitting around, but guys that have, you know, been redshirted. And, and I mean, you can go a lot of places. I think you got to look particularly in the offensive line. You look at a guy like Jared Brooks, an offensive tackle who looked really, really good. And he looked like your prototypical offensive tackle. This is a guy that could be a very, very good uh, rotation guy. Um, you also may possibly got to look at a guy like Chris Richardson, uh, the defensive line that they signed, 6'3", 300. They're going to need some depth because we lost Demarcus Womack, a guy that was a Juco guy, expected to come in and fill in. Like you said, we replaced a bunch of that front seven. They've gotten a little deeper. But it, that's really the only part that I could see. It's those couple of guys because there's so many redshirt freshmen. You know, there's there's so many guys that are sophomore, juniors, three year, four year guys that are get opportunities. So outside of Kalon and, and and Kavika, those two guys, you got to look somewhere in the interior, and, and I think that's really where the strength and the depth is going to be. When I was talking about them having that opportunity to run the ball, um, and even if you want to, you know, if we want to stick away from newcomers. Or stick away from freshmen. Yeah, let's go, let's yeah. go with the newcomers. A guy like Terry That's Janelle, exactly who, who didn't really kind of get off in the spring, but you could see it. You can see that speed. And another guy who I would say personally, he, he disappointed me a little bit was Elliot Oldham. I, you know, I think the biggest, my biggest concern, kind of doubling back to my question to you, is the receivers. So really, you got to look for a newcomer to emerge out of that receiving core. And the two guys at the top of the head, Oldham and Janelle, have to 
have to be productive, guys. They have to be somewhat of what uh, what Shaw was last year and, and maybe even half of what Ian Hamilton was. This team has a chance to move that ball through the air. Yeah, and, and you know, we... we we had the, the the long long ball threat with with uh, Ian Hamilton last year. Obviously not the fastest guy, but at six five, six four, six five, real big guy, big hands, great catch. He you know he can go up and get the ball. We kind of lost that on the outside. We don't have nearly as much size. If you look down the depth chart at at, at wide receiver, um, really your biggest guy is Brandon Moss out of Chapin. Um, so so you're. It's going to be a different dynamic out there on the outside, and we're we're going to have to find a production from these guys that you're talking about that haven't really shown much in the spring. I mean, highly touted coming out of JUCO, these JUCO transfers in Junelle, uh, Terry Junell and, and Elliot Oldham, but we're going to have to find some production for them if if we're going to be even a threat on the outside. And that's the biggest thing is because if these guys can't create separations and become create separation become threats on the outside. The run game isn't as effective. Mm-hmm. You know, it works both ways. You got to be able to open it, open it up both ways. So th- we're gonna have to find some production out there. And like I said, we lost that kind of deep ball guy in, in in Ian Hamilton. So who's gonna be able to fill that spot? Is still kind of up in the air. I mean, and, and you look at a guy like Tyler Batson, who was highly touted out of the Houston area, and he's a big kid. You know, six one and a half, six two, two hundred pounds. I mean, this is a guy that plays that part, but he didn't really see that much time last year. He's the guy that's gonna get his reps, uh, you know, up. And Donovan Walker had a great spring. Donovan Walker was probably the MVP of the receiving core. And this is not a big guy, but he's very well. He runs very fluidly. He does a great job on that post route. I know I saw a practice where it was a Mets that hit him perfectly right on the seam. Beautiful catch, about a 30, 45 yard gain. Got great separation, great hands. Those are the little that's going to make a difference. And a guy like Brandon Moss, who was very highly touted coming into from Chapin. This is this is kind of a turning point for a lot of these guys. They're in their junior years. They're in their sophomore years. Somebody's got to emerge from that. And, I mean, really, it's going to be – it's just going to come down more with the passing game, I think, is going to come more down to these receivers than it is the quarterback. I know we've talked about it. I know I was kind of harping that at the beginning of that quarterback is going to be important in those first two games, but more so a receiver that's going to find that separation, find that consistency and be that playmaker guy and be able to to pick apart a zone or, or to pick apart a mismatch on the defense, uh, a, you know, a mismatch on the, uh, for the defense. So more than the quarterback position, these wide receivers got to step up, and, and that's really going to because there's, I mean, UTEP is deep at receiver depth. Yeah. I mean, yeah. depth wise, a lot of young guys. You know, maybe not, not a single senior. Yep, not a single senior. And I mean, they have an opportunity to build. They've already had this opportunity to build this chemistry through spring and now seven and seven in, in the off season. Now you're getting to that fall, and you got to find playmakers. Not so much guys that could run that route without pads, but the guys that can be able to get open, be physical. Not only that, but most importantly, block. Yeah. you got to be able to run block. We've seen a couple guys that were taken out of situations like Ian Hamilton because the run blocking was getting too much and, you know, too much for him in terms of what he had to do overall. But, I mean, there's a lot of questions on that offensive side and the secondary. But I really think this team has – just that mental that mental toughness, and they have that that little extra on that defensive side of the ball that's going to help them. And this year should be kind of special. It is, it's hard to tell in July, though. <laughs> yeah, man, no doubt about it. Moving on a little bit, though, let's let's uh, let's switch it over to basketball, man. Um, I guess the most recent thing that that we have going on is uh, freshmen in town or, or newcomers in town. Y'all got to go a chance. The media got a chance to go out there and 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 interview these guys, talk to them, see these shoot around sessions, watch a little bit of practice, and see how they're kind of fitting in. 
That was what you saw, man. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm real impressed. Really, really, really impressed with this group. I mean, they're obviously, you know, from a physical standpoint and, and their basketball skills, and they bring, you know, it seems like, you know, this is no knock on, on any of these seniors graduating, but it seems like we got an offensive upgrade with a lot of these guys. And, you know, first and foremost, these guys have great character. You know, they're well-spoken. You know, they're polite. Um, you can tell they're ready for this type of challenge of what is Division One basketball and everything that comes through it. And they just seem like just really good all-around kids, uh, you know, with with the same goal in mind of, of working hard, playing defense, uh, getting better every day. And, you know, the, the guy that I was really obviously, you know, that everybody's interested in, Dominic Hardis. Yep. And, I mean, this guy, I mean, you know, I have a pretty big man crush on Carlos Correa right now at Houston Astros. <laughs> I mean, Dominic Hardis is – a, I, I, think, I think we were even texting it, texting after when I yeah. told you that is what a four-star yeah. recruit looks like. That's what a top 100 player. That's what an impact guy really looks like. I mean, like, we come in to the gym and the guy's already at 80 to 200 shots already deep working out. You know, he he's he's a physical specimen. I I really from the last time I saw him in the gym, he was a little. I, I saw him from a distance. Didn't see how defined he is. Didn't see how strong he is. How consistent his jump shot is. I mean, <laughs> Tim Floyd saved his ass. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to tell you. And I told you before because you know that that look with everything we talked a lot about Tim Floyd last year and and how disappointing. Let's not forget about this. I'm not. I'm look. I'm not a hater. I'm not. You know. N- you know, anti-UTEP in any way at all, because I know a lot of people think that because you criticize a coach that you're somehow not a fan. A troll. You know, exactly. And, and and that's not the case. In fact, I'm not trying to, you know, sit here and have a pissing contest, but <laughs> I, I, I've been glued to UTEP sports, been at every, and I've said this many times on this podcast, you know, I've gone to every single game that I could possibly make it to since I was probably six or seven years old, more than 20 years. And and so it has nothing to do with being a fan or hating or anything like that. There's no there's no sugarcoating it. Floyd's tenure here has been filled with letdown, disappointment, and a lack of development of players. Period. You cannot go around that. I know that at times his teams have played well. We saw a couple of years ago when we lost the guys after the gambling, you know, thing and and uh, ten in a row. Yeah, so that you know that was great. You know, this year, okay, we made the NIT fine, but really we snuck in the back door of that NIT. Let's not forget about that. But this right here, after you're talking about going into your sixth year, losing, you know, three seniors in Washburn, Lang, and Cooper, losing your best player in Vince Hunter. I mean, you're talking about a rebuilding year. And he saved his ass by going out there and snagging Dominic Artis, man, because this guy is such a dynamic player, a great shooter, a leader, a playmaker, a true scorer, great court vision, handles, you name it, yep. he's got it. And, and I know that a lot of people talked about, you know, I saw some of the comments on Minor Rush talking about how, you know, oh, well, this guy only averaged six points and, and three assists or whatever. He was on a stacked-ass squad. He was on a stacked squad, and he was a freshman. Let's not forget about that. Freshman, he came into his sophomore year and then got dismissed. So let's, let's you know, drop that whole yeah, nonsense that, 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 like, it's because, you know, he wasn't that great at Oregon. I'm not ready to know. He is a true four-star player, and, and he's going to come in and provide something that this offense, that Tim Floyd's offense has not seen 
at all since he's been here. And and it couldn't come at a better time when you've got a guy like Omega Harris who's now coming into his sophomore season. And, and you know, we saw great, you know, stretches out of him. Had a, he finished the season so damn strong, Omega did. And with him, I really, really feel, I think this is, you know, being captain obvious, but I, re- obvious, <laughs> but I really feel like it'll be a yep. two-point two guard lineup, right? That, that just makes the most sense. You got Omega Point Harris and Dominic Artis playing next to each other, that is huge, man. Uh, it, it, of course, there's still a lot of other things yet to be seen. Paul Thomas kind of is on the back burner now of, of yeah. our talking. And, and, and he, he was, he was our main guy. guy though, yep. So, so we, let's not forget about him either, but you got him at the four. You still got Urban Morris coming back at the three, so if he can find a little more consistency, which I think Urban Morris, you know, Urban Morris is a Memphis kid. He, he I'm not going to say he's like a flashy player, but I think he's going to feel right at home with Artis and, and, and Harris by his side. Nope. So those three guys right there. You didn't even mention Lee Moore. And we haven't even talked about Lee Moore. And, and he's still yet, you know, he's the kind of the unknown. We talked about him and, and his uh, it, kind of a weird shooting motion. Though, to, yeah. Not to jump into that too much, but, you know, supposed to be a great shooter. Haven't seen much of him. Good but, re- great rebounder. Not but, a good rebounder. But that, that's rebounder. another guy that could play a huge role. Obviously, you're talking about winter. You got when going. you're talking about uh, – Flagger, well, Touche, Flagger and, and Touche is a guy that Tim Floyd, when I've talked to Tim Floyd in this offseason, Tim Floyd has made sure to, to kind of let everybody know, ooh, look at George, look at George. But, I mean, Tim Floyd has let it be known that, you know, Trey Touche was the Louisiana Player of the Year two times. Every time I've talked to Floyd, he mentions that. So that right there, I mean, there's going to be – it kind of feels, like you said, it was a rebuilding year. Now it's sort of like reloading, retooling. Yeah. And, and if you're Floyd, give the keys to Dominic Artis. Yeah. And I think he's a guy that will not only make, you know, a, a, a cutting Hooper vent better because Hooper's going to get the ball where he wants it and, and lay it up where he wants it, but he's also going to make a guy like Trey Touchette better because Trey Touchette is going to get to watch this guy and emulate this guy. And I think that can only do well. And Lee Moore is kind of that wild card guy. Where's he going to fit in on this team? You know, he, he has that unorthodox shot, I guess you can say, but it still goes in. You know, he's a guy that can, he's, he's another strong guy like artist where he's going to be able to get to the rack and, and draw some contact. And so I think we're going to see just more guards, which is, I mean, I'm talking with uh, Tom Penders of all guys the other day on Twitter where he talks about, you know, a great coach needs a great guard. Well, Tim Floyd could possibly have three or four, maybe even five great guards. So, yeah. I mean, this is – and that was kind of my next question was where do you con- do you consider this a rebuilding or reloading year? This definitely is a reloading year, and I yeah. think the expectations – Well, I, you know, we don't I, even want to put expectations call, I can't even call it team. a reloading year because – in order to reload, you have to have something to reload from. And I know we had a decent season a year ago, and I know we lost some players. But to me, when I think reload, I'm thinking Kentucky reloading with five new freshmen to go out there and compete for a national championship. McDonald's so so I don't think that you can actually call it a reloading season. I think it's the do-or-die season is what I really think. Because if you come into this season and, again, you have a letdown. and Look, hopes are starting. Hopes kind of went from, let's say, on a scale of 1 to 10 last year coming in, they were at a 10. Mm-hmm. And then they now they kind of dipped down at the end of last season. They kind of dipped down probably in the – three, four Four, range, and now you bring this up, and and these holes are creeping back up to the seven, eight range, and by the time basketball season's here, and we're seeing these guys on a regular basis, we're going to be back to a 10, and we're going to expect this team to make the NCAA tournament, which isn't that far-fetched, and it shouldn't be something that we shouldn't expect from a team like UTEP playing in a league like Conference USA. So for me, this is not a rebuilding, this is not a retooling, reloading, whatever other we you want to call it. This is do or die 
it's time to get it done. It's been five years. This is number six. There's no more excuses for Floyd. You've got your guards. You've got your shooters. You've got your ball handlers. You've got some bigs. Ooh, you've got. Job. I mean, Jose Altuve. I told you, man. He's the he's the real deal. But but it's, it's do or die, man. It's do or die. Enough is enough. No more excuses. It's time to go. And from what I heard, the schedule isn't going to be as tough as it is. So I mean. And it's obvious. I mean, I think anybody that follows the program knows you can't go out there and schedule Arizona and, and you know, play in a big-time exempt tournament and, you know, have, you know, the games that UTEP had last year. It's not going to happen. So that could possibly be a plus 10. You know, you want to put plus, you know, basically put 10 wins on the board because, you know, most of those are going to be home games. So it's going to be a, a home-heavy schedule, maybe something that we haven't seen under Floyd, which who knows, maybe that'll help. Because I think that I think what Tim Floyd is may starting to realize is, look, it doesn't matter who I schedule. Yeah. Because obviously this year it didn't matter. Yeah. You know, maybe okay, of course we can go into this, but they, you know, if they win a couple games, we're talking a different story. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, in conference, you got to win in Birmingham. Yeah. You got to win in Birmingham. So you know, do you with this team, do you build the chemistry and you play shit me shit on my face state, you know, and, and start off ten and two and maybe. You know, play a tough game at Washington State, what's already on the docket, do well in the Corpus Christi tournament, which they should. Only team that I've heard out of their Southern Illinois. So the schedule kind of should be in their favor. But, I mean, really, I, I got to agree with you on that. I really thought it was a, a reloading year. But now that you put it that way, I mean, there is pieces here to make this thing kind of go. I would put my kind of, I don't know what you want to call it, my basically anything less than 15 wins to me next year. Is, is a disappointment. This is, where the, um, this is where the wheels fall off. If anybody out there is watching this Rays game, Cleveland game, perfect game, gone in the seventh to a home run, Grady Sizemore, that's where the wheels fall off right there. Watch. This is going to fall apart. Watch. But, yeah, man, uh, that that is what it is. Actually, though, talking about because I was actually thinking about it. Every year we've played in these tough tournaments since Floyd's been here pretty much. Um, I was wondering, who is in that Corpus Christi tournament? I mean, I don't even know where to find information about if you that. Go, if you go to that, the SB Nation actually has it. If that's the SB, or yeah, I think that's it right this there. This is from last year, though. For oh, you know what? Uh, Renzo posted it on one of the comments. I remember reading it, but I can't. I can't exactly remember the actual site, but I think they had Oakland. I think Oakland is going to be a a, think, a home game for us here, which I think is part of the tournament. And I, and I I don't know if that's like a, oh there, there you go back to back knocks I told you yeah but you you know what you, you, talking about just taking a step back you talked about you got to win in Birmingham and that's the truth man this league is a one bid league period mm-hmm. you know you you might have two teams sneak in because because there's an upset in the tournament or something like that but chances are that team's got to be top twenty yeah exactly exactly <laughs> you know chances are. This is a one bid league, so it doesn't really matter what you do in the in the regular season. You got to go out there and you got to win when it's time to win. But it does start in 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 the in the first games of the season, and you know what? That's something that we saw with Billy Gillespie, with Doc Sadler, with with the, all the guys with Barbie before before Floyd. You know, they have one or two games, name games in there, but for the most part. They're playing Cupcake State left and right, mm-hmm. and they're going to build up 15, 18 wins in non-conference. And and that's something also we see some teams in conference in conference USA play. Uh, I know that Louisiana Dominion, Tech, Old Dominion, they didn't have necessarily really weak schedules. They had a couple big games, but, but not all their to, home games were winnable. Yeah, basically. exactly, and not to the extent that UTEP is, where you're starting the season and you're facing a number ten team in the nation in Arizona, and you're playing in the in the in these top tier tournaments, State, New Mexico stores. Yeah, exactly. So, so exactly that that that's something that that Tim Floyd is trying to do, and it's great. 
but obviously it hasn't worked. So maybe kind of taking a step back and going to, to the philosophy that these other coaches had and building up confidence with those wins. So you go into conference play at 15 and two, or maybe that will make these guys play better. I don't know, but it, it's just, it's time, man. It, and those teams were kind of more offensive minded type of teams, I guess you could say teams that you would go to these games and you would expect 80 points. I feel with this roster, this roster makeover, I guess you can say, this is a much better offensive team than Floyd's had here. Yeah, this no is a team it. that I would actually expect them to average in the mid seventies and be able to eighty to eighty five points isn't a surprise anymore. Yeah, where that's a surprise comment from Floyd. That, that's hey, also that's eight. also Floyd's offense too, man. Because because there's times where this guy gets a lead and he likes to go out there and milk the clock, which I cannot stand because that's how. You you let teams back in the game. Yep. You get complacent, but a three here, you a take, three there, yeah, and you start taking your own team. There. You start taking your own team out of rhythm. But but he does have the best offensive team that we've seen. It, even you know you talk about even last year, Vince Hunter, as amazing of an athlete he was, was not a pure scorer. You know he's gonna get his, but he's not like a pure scorer. He can't get his shot anytime. Exactly. He wants it. And, and and Julian Washburn wasn't wasn't consistent at all. all he, that, that that's a, he he could he was that. He just was inconsistent. He was not consistent. Uh, C.J. Cooper Same couldn't deal. find it last year. Cedric Lane started to become a scorer, but you know he's not a pure scorer. So you really haven't had that offensive threat since Tim Floyd's been here, and this is the first time. If if Artis can be anything like what Joseph Young was this year at Oregon, yeah. watch out, man. I mean, he he just and more he is the same style player. Yeah, and more than anything, those type of guys just make LeBron. Just yeah. for an example, they just make their teams better. Why? Because they care about the team. Dominic Artis' quote to me was, I, 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 the first thing I want to do is I want to know where my teammates are going to get the ball. I want to know where they want the ball, where they're, where they're comfortable with it, where they're going to be. Right there, that tells me all I need to know about this kid. It's not about, you know, hey, you know, I'm coming in. I, I want to make this big impact. I want to score one help this team win, you know, go to the tournament. I, I got to, you know, I went through all this stuff myself and I got to put my name for it. No, it was, you know what? I want to know where my teammates want the ball. I want to know where, where my teammates like to shoot. I want to know the, the makeup of my teammates because that's, that is what this program is. I mean, not saying none of these kids that we've come in are selfish, but a guy like Vince Hunter isn't going to make Omega Harris better. He's not going to make Jake Flagger better. He's not going to make Julian Washburn better. Great player, tremendous athlete, can't live without him, going to miss him. Definitely going to find a job somewhere making more money than I'll ever yeah. make. But he did not make this, his teammates better. And that's what a guy like Dominus Artist is going to be. And that offense is going to open up. I mean, you, you have to. You talk about Floyd's offense. Don't, you kind of have to give this kid the keys and say, you know what, go. But this is how we're going to do it, but go. You know, at, at the end of the day, this is the shot that I wanted, but go. And I think that's what we're going to see. And I think you may see a little bit more offense with this team. You're losing, obviously, the best defender in college basketball with Julian Washburn and one of the best post defenders and post presence in college basketball. But this is going to be a guard-oriented team. I mean, basically, what I feel right now is you're going to have to score 80 to beat a team like UTEP right now. But a lot of time. A lot of time before we even get into that demographic. So no, I know we're fired up for it. No and, doubt about it, man. You know, it, as, much as, as much as I like to think we're kind of transitioning – because of the la- because of the letdowns in in basketball and, and because of football being on the rise, I want to think we're kind of on the way to becoming a football school. But there's no there's no question. It's a basketball oh, yeah. school, man. We're a basketball school. We love our basketball here. We love to support our football too. But we're a basketball school, man. So I just I can't wait to see that. I can't wait to see other things too. We talk about a guy like Kelvin Jones. Kel- Kevin? Kevin? Kel- Kelvin? Kelvin? Right? Jones. Kelvin Jones. Oh, what a story! Man, you know. Man. 
First off, the, my first impression of the kid was, okay, he's a walk-on, and, and he only averaged like 14 and 6 or something like that in Hobbs as a 6'11 guy, 6'10", 6'11 guy. And I'm thinking, you know, that's, are you just taking advantage of your size because you're that much bigger than other kids? Because to me, if you're a 6'11 dude in Hobbs, you should be averaging 20 and 10 easily. Easy. So I don't know about that. But when I saw some video on this guy, he's Cedric Lang, but much more athletic, much more athletic. The guy loves to, to kind of get in there and be physical, but the guy can dribble. The guy the guy can go up there and, and take some alley-oops. He can, you know, he, he, he's just a very athletic player. I, I I was really impressed with the film, but apparently he's not eligible, correct? No, he's a Prop 48 guy. So basically he's a scholarship guy, but for next year. Okay. So he'll probably take the spot of one Urban Morris, uh, you know, Kevin Caldwell. And I think the recruiting news is kind of quiet. You'll hear it kind of ramp up again, I think, in July is when the next live period is for the coaches. So that's, I think that was a big relief for the coaches, is that they don't have to go out there and push a big man. They just got to push the big man they have now to get eligible. So this kid can definitely have to, I mean, there's no issue. There's definitely no hiding the issue of his grades. He's got to get the grades. It's not that he doesn't have it. He just... The way that his family is, 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 it's a great story, and hopefully we could run this story and I could tell you guys about this kid. But, you know, he comes from a hardworking family where education wasn't really valued. It was go out there and bust your tail. I mean, we're all pretty much from Mexican descent, and we all know how it is coming from nothing and how our parents taught us to work hard. Elizabeth Kelvin Jones' kid is in that mold, and now he has an opportunity to play Division One basketball. And, you know, right now he's actually working for his tuition to come next year. This is a kid that is that is going to have a really determined story. And, you know, he's going to be kind of like Matt Williams, Julian Washburn, a guy that's, you know, in waiting. You'll see him around. You'll see him sitting in the front row of the games. Uh, probably even see him, you know, walking around campus or whatever if, if you frequent UTEP. But, I mean, this, I, I agree. When I watched that video of this guy, when they sent me that video, I mean, this kid is legit. You know, get let him get into these, uh, you know, physical one-on-one uh practices and these one-on-one um, summer ball pickup games, whatever that they have once he gets here. And this kid's game is going to grow. But, I mean, really, really good story for this kid. Really excited to see this kid kind of blossom, uh, you know, from basically the stuff that he's gone in outside of basketball to be able to be a basketball star. Because I think this kid has that potential. Maybe not right off the bat, but by sophomore, junior year, you're going to see that big jump just like said Lane, just like you compared him to. So taking a step back, going back to this uh, Corpus Christi tournament that we were talking about, it's talking about host teams, Colorado State, Portland, Southern Illinois, Utah. That's not a terrible field. I mean, it's it's not a, a really strong mid-major field, but it's not bad. And then you got visiting teams in uh, Florida A&M, Abilene Christian, Oakland, and uh, who am I missing here? And Troy. Um, Oakland's never – Never an easy out. I know that much. Yeah, they um, don't know much about Florida A&M or Abilene Christian, but what it does look like is November 24th, UTEP has a game against Florida A&M here in El Paso. And then uh, and after that, we'll have host semifinal games, which I'm not even sure how this whole thing is set up, but yeah, host yeah. semifinals and, and host finals. And, and I think the semifinals and the finals, or maybe just the finals, I'm not even sure, are actually in Corpus Christi. So. I think um, I think it's 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 the twenty it's the twenty seventh the twenty seventh so I think the, I think that Friday Saturday or whatever so obviously it is it's going to be a little fourteen tournament kind of like like UTEP has here in, in the Don Haskins Sun Bowl Invitational um right, we'll I'll have be, something like I'll that out there, out there, in, out there I'm I'm fired up I'm already planning that with the fam 
I love me some Corpus Christi. Let's Listen talk a little one. bit about um before you get carried away with Corpus Christi and whatnot. I had women are wonderful, <laughs> but I'll just leave it at that. Let's talk a little bit about Julian and Vince, man. Um Let's get to Vince first, because I mean, I just, I, I mean, the guy is a great person, and he busts his tail. And I was just sick when he wasn't drafted, yeah. you know. And I know to him because he's such a good person. It probably didn't mean a thing to him. It probably just motivated him more. I wouldn't be surprised if he went out after that and probably lifted some weights or even ran a little bit after that. But I mean, you just, you got to feel for the guy that I mean, he's been a star here. Uh, you know, everybody, you know, loves Vince. Everybody's shown him love. And, and you know, he's he has these NBA people, whoever it is, putting, you know, this thought into him. And, and what made me sick the most is what if he would have came back? Yeah, I know. That more than him not getting drafted, more than, you know, he having to go through the D-League is what if he would have came back? I mean, this we're talking about a guy that comes back. And if he can just match his statistical production, which – We've seen Vince grow his statistical production yeah. in his first year. He has points per game went down, blame it on the knee injury. This is a guy that had that potential to average a double-double from game one to game 37 next year. You do that with next year's draft, looking at it, all the mock draft. If you look at a 2016 NBA mock draft, all these guys just finished up their high school prom. Vince would have been a lock in the top 15 next year, and yeah. that's what hurts me the most. Not, not as far as coming back and leading UTEP to the forefront and leading us to a tournament. It's the fact that next year's draft is so weak. Vince was guaranteed financial security next year if you would have just stuck it out for one more year. I, I, agree, I, agree, I agree with that. I, 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 it's, first of all, I agree that he would 